0: Good morning, church. Thank you, worship team. You guys are amazing. Can we let our worship team know how much we appreciate their gift, their anointing, leading us into the presence of God? Speaking of the presence of God, aren't you thankful for the presence of God? In the Lord, good. Come on, I said, In the Lord, good. Oh, man, can we just posture our heart before Him this morning, just to receive what God wants to speak to our hearts this morning? And just pray that our hearts would be found as good soil by which the seed of his word would be sown this morning. So join me in prayer if you would. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your presence, which is already here. And we just ask now, God, that you would prepare our hearts to receive, Lord. Receive, Father, what you want to speak to each and every one of us. Your word says, let he who has an ear hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And so, God, would you give us ears to hear this morning? Lord, transform us. Renew us. Father, where is needed, God, even revive us, God, so that our faith, God, grows and that our relationship with you, Lord, grows so we invite you, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place and in our hearts, we pray. In the matchless name of Jesus and all of God's saints, say, amen. amen. Okay, so didn't Avi do a great job last week? It was so good, so good. Um, if you have not been with us, so we're going to pick back up where we were a couple weeks ago, and for those of you that are just joining us, we've embarked on really what has become a year-long journey through a series that we're calling All In, which really is just a study in the book of Acts where we're going uh, chapter by chapter through the book, and we're about to tag third, and then we're going to head toward home plate. And I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, that this Last stretch of the book of Acts is primarily focused on the life of the apostle Paul, but his story is loaded with lessons of how God works in and through the life of the believer. Now, just to give you a little bit of a recap for those of you that have not been with us for the last nine months of this series, the book of Acts is a historical account of the early church and the things that God did through the followers of Jesus. And I think it's so important that we know our church history. One prominent figure of the past once said, a people without the knowledge of their past history is like a tree without roots. This quote, it resonates deeply within me because it emphasizes that our understanding of history, it goes Beyond mere facts and dates, but it's through knowing our history that we gain a better understanding of the struggles, the triumphs, and the lessons that those that have went before us are trying to teach us and want to teach us. You've heard me say this before, but God's word isn't meant to just inform, but to transform. Transform. And this is what we see all throughout the book of Acts, people's lives that are transformed as a result of what Jesus Christ did on the cross and for the Holy Spirit by which he sent to empower us. I mean, whenever you look at the beginning, all the way back to the beginning in in Acts chapter 1, all we see at that point is 120 of his followers, his disciples, sitting in an upper room praying, following through on his instruction to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, which he was sending to empower them to become witnesses to the whole world. And by the time you reach the end of the book of Acts, scholars and historians believe that there were hundreds of thousands of people who had put their faith in Christ. And guess what? We are still seeing significant growth all over the world. Now, in many Western countries, including our own, there's been a decrease in those that claim the name of Jesus. But in other parts of the world, which is the majority of the world, sometimes we think that like we've got everything cornered and figured out here in our world. But can I tell you, we're just a small section. What is it, 360, 70 million people now versus what are we up to now worldwide? Eight billion? Did I read that? Did it crossed over into eight billion now? unbelievable. So we're just a little speck on that. And so when we look at what's happening in the majority of the world in Christianity, it's exploding. And so we've got to ask ourselves, why is it growing there but not growing here? Well, I think that to answer that question in part, it's because we have failed to grab hold of the things that God's Word has instructed us to do. And we've failed to learn from those that have went before us in Scripture. And here's the thing, and guys, I want you to grasp hold of this. God's Word is meant to instruct us to tell us how to live. I think oftentimes whenever we read the stories, we don't realize that in those stories, there's lessons for us, principles for us to pull from that's to guide us As a matter of fact, Romans 15, 4 says it this way. It says, for whatever was written. In other words, anything that was written down, there was an intended purpose for it. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance. So in other words, that tells me that the things that I read about, it's going to produce some endurance. So if you need a little bit of endurance in your life, then maybe you might want to spend a little bit more time in the Word because it's going to build up your endurance that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the Scripture. Now, watch this. Can anyone in this room say, you know what? I could use a little more encouragement in my life. Hello? Well, the Scripture says this. If you want a little more encouragement in your life, spend some time in the Scripture. So through the endurance and through the encouragement of the Scripture, we might have hope. And I have to say that as we've been reading through the book of Acts, I have been feeling hope rise up in my heart because you know what? I have come to know a few things about God that I know are certain. And one is that he is no respecter of persons. In other words, what God did through the early church, he still wants to do in the lives of his people today. This mindset and and doctrine that, that some lay claim to that says, oh, well, God doesn't move that way any longer... I think that's part of the reason that we're seeing a decline in Christianity here in the Western world, because they've put God in a box and then built denominations around things that they don't understand, and so it's just much easier to go ahead and craft a doctrine that dismisses what they've never experienced, but can I just tell you that a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument, much like the blind man in John chapter 9. Remember the story, the religious leaders, they came up to the blind man and they said, hey, you know, this Jesus, he couldn't possibly be a miracle worker. We know this man's a sinner. There's no way that God could have used him to bring about this miracle in your life. And the blind man said this, hey, look, you can say whatever you want about this Jesus. All I know is this, once I was blind, but now I see. Hey, once I was one way, and now I'm another. And the only difference between the two was Jesus. Come on, can someone praise God if he brought your life out of a pit and he set your feet on a solid rock to stay? Can someone praise God if you were once sick, but now you're the healed of the Lord? Can someone praise God if at one point in your life you were lonely and you were sad, but today you're walking in freedom? Come on, can we praise God just for his goodness and his faithfulness and his kindness? Hallelujah! Now, if you're here and you say, but Chris, I'm still going through it. Well, bless God you're going to go through. Don't set up camp there. Praise him in the midst of the storm. You're going to come through. And if you feel like all the hell's coming against you, I've told you this before, but the resistance is the greatest right before the breakthrough. So if it's coming... Hard, and it's raining hard in your life, guess what? Tomorrow's a new day, and his mercies are new every day. So watch how God moves. Don't quit on six. I think I shared that two weeks ago. Don't stop on six. Keep pressing in. Keep pressing in. Amen? All right. Now, as we go through the rest of this book, the book of Acts, let's do So with this mindset and perspective that what God did then, He still wants to do in our life today. God's purposes and His plans for this earth, they have not expired, church. Listen, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the alpha and the omega. What He has started in our lives, He will be faithful to bring it about to completion. Now, I want us to jump back in where we left off a couple of weeks ago. I think we're now in Acts chapter 23. So flip over in your Bible to Acts chapter 23. And Paul is in Jerusalem where the Jews are trying to kill him. But the Roman tribune stopped their attack, and they questioned Paul trying to find out what were these claims that they were making against him and whether they were warranted or not. And now they asked the chief priests and the council to meet, And Paul is brought before them all. So we've got the Roman tribune now, you've got the chief priest, you've got all the religious leaders, they're gathered together in one room. And here in Acts chapter 23 and verse 1, it says, and looking intently at the council, Paul said, now can you imagine for just a moment, I mean, man, you've got the Romans here, you've got the Jews here, they're all eyes on Paul. And looking intently at the council. Paul said, brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. In other words, Paul was saying that he had conducted himself with integrity and with a clear conscience in his actions and with his behavior and in his devotion, and that he had remained faithful and upright in his relationship with God. Then in verse 2, it says, and the high priest Ananias For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, I want us to just dive into these five verses here for just a moment. Notice that what Paul says, he doesn't say anything that's disrespectful or that's offensive. Yet the high priest ordered to strike him on the mouth. Have you ever been in a situation where you didn't do anything wrong, but you were still punished? Maybe not a strike on the mouth like, like Paul, but, but a strike in, in another kind of way. Like maybe it was a strike against your finances or a strike against your health. I think we can all recall times when we've had things come against us and for no good reason. And whenever those strikes land, it can cause us to react. Look, I don't know about you, but I know that in my life, moment of confession, i found that I can become one of the most reactive people that I know. What I mean by that is that anytime someone would challenge me, come against me, or question me, I would immediately turn on my Iron Dome defense mechanism and react. I know that none of you can relate because whenever someone says something about you, or comes against you, you pray for them, you love them, and then you go and you add them to your Christmas card list now, don't you? Well, Paul's reaction gives those of us who can relate some hope, doesn't it? Because Paul lands a sharp statement when he says to Ananias, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. And just for context, like this metaphor right here, They would have very well understood this metaphor. It may not have made complete sense to us today, but whenever they heard this, they would have understood that what Paul was implying, that Ananias was outwardly expressing all this religiosity, but he was simply just masking inner corruption and hypocrisy on the the inside. But I want you to see what happens next. Because when Paul makes that statement, though it may have been true. you you're catching this. When Paul makes that statement, though it may have been true, what he said about the high priest, those around Paul rebuked him for speaking against God's authority because Ananias was the high priest. And Paul gives concession to their rebuke. He tells them, brothers, I, I didn't realize and realize he was the one who was in authority here. Didn't know who he was. Didn't know that that was the high priest. And then he goes and he references God's word, which is in Exodus 22, 28, where it says, You shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. Now, I'm not going to win a popularity contest for teaching this. But thankfully, I'm more concerned about what God thinks about me than what you do. This is a lesson that Christians especially here in America, need to learn. Because some of the same people that are in churches this morning have a bumper sticker on the back of their car that says, Let's go, Brandon. I'm going to let that one just sit for a minute. Now, can I just say that with a clear conscience, I can say that I don't think that anyone here does, but if you do, (laughs) you might want to consider what we're talking about here, and remove it. Paul clearly tells us that as a follower of Jesus, if you're claiming the name Jesus, not to speak evil of a ruler of our people. As a matter of fact, or should I say as a matter of truth, Titus 3.2 says, speak evil of no man. And then if you even want to take it a step further, Ecclesiastes 10, 20 says, do not revile the king even in your thoughts. Now, that's in your Bible, so don't shoot the messenger. But can I tell you something? I found that if I will guard my thoughts, I won't have to worry about what comes out of my mouth. Because it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. Anyway, if I guard my heart and my mind, my mouth will follow suit. Friends, this is a critical lesson for us to learn because watch this. The world is watching. They are looking to see if the message that we are urging them to accept and receive, if we're going to live it out or not. Gandhi once said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. See, I can't help but wonder what actions... What behaviors or what words did Gandhi hear or not hear from a follower of Christ that caused him then to take this position? And if, if he could have seen Christians live like Christ, then history may have been written differently, and Gandhi might have been the greatest missionary since the Apostle Paul. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, but I don't have any Gandhis in my life. Well... I beg to differ. First of all, you don't know who it is that's surrounding you and sitting next to you or who you're raising. I can promise you there are people all around you that are watching how you live. And can I just tell you something? If you've got children, you better believe they're watching. For that matter, anyone who knows that you are a follower of Christ is watching. Trust me. They might not ever mention it but they are watching. They're looking to see how you will handle problems, difficulties, elections that don't turn out the way that you want them to, and what you say and how you handle it. They hear the things that you say about others, and all the fruit that they see come from your life will cause them to render a verdict about who they believe Jesus is. This is why Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 14, 16, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Jesus plainly tells us that how we live our life will have a direct effect on how others see God. Now, I use the let's go Brandon example because I've had several non-believers that I've been trying to witness to bring up this very thing to me and when I say one of uh, several I'm not just talking about one or two I mean a bunch of them and they essentially said why is it that Christians are saying that when they clearly know what it means and you know what I have to say to them every time I don't know I don't know maybe they didn't read that part of their Bible that says that they were not to speak evil of anyone but somehow Like even the non-believers know that we're not supposed to do that. Friends, what I'm talking about right now, hear me on it so you're not hearing the wrong thing. This isn't a political position. This is a biblical position. And if the tables turn on the next election cycle and a different leader or party comes into power, our stance still remains the same. Because our commitment to truth should never waver based on shifting political landscapes or partisan loyalties. Look, the values that we cling to, the love that we show, and the justice that we stand for, it should always stand in alignment with God's Word. Hey, our first allegiance is to God and His kingdom. Amen? Now, verses 6 through 11 Paul briefly shares with the council why he believes that this is taking place, why why they're trying to do what they're uh, doing to him. And he says that they're putting him on trial because he believes in the resurrection of the dead, which is a perfect thing to say because the Pharisees they actually believed in the resurrection. So whenever they heard Paul say, hey, I'm being tried because I believe in the resurrection of the dead, and the Pharisees are probably sitting there thinking, huh, well, there's nothing wrong with that. We actually believe in the resurrection of the dead. But then you had the other group of leaders. How about that? Your two parties. You had the other party over there. It's like, well, we don't know about that. And that's the Sadducees, and they didn't believe in the resurrection, and that's why they were see? Sorry, I couldn't help but to throw that in there. And I knew that you said that, so... I agreed your lips on that. (laughs) Stole it. it. (laughs) But then in verse 11, oh, first of all, let me say, that created dissension when Paul did that. I mean, what a wisely said thing. Perfect thing to say right there uh, because it created some dissension and it caused the party to be broken up. And then the Roman tribune went and they took Paul away, being afraid that they would kill him and they put him in the barracks. And then in verse 11... It says this. Now, catch this. This is so good. I grab hold of this often when I think of this story. I mean, this guy right here has his life before the whole world at that time. I mean, and the Bible says, the following night, the Lord stood by him. Wow. I mean, you could just sit there and chew on that thought alone. But it says, the following night, the Lord uh, stood by him and said, take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Now, I want us to just pause here for just a minute and think through what we just read. It says that the Lord said to him, take courage. And I feel like that there are some of you that are here in this room this morning that the Lord would say to you, take courage. I know it seems like Everything and everyone is coming against you, but you're going to make it through this battle because greater is he that's in you than he that is in this world. The Lord tells Paul, you're going to make it through this battle because you've got a a greater battle coming. (laughs) I don't know if that's good news or not, right? What can I just say? If Jesus says that something's going to happen, it's going to be okay, though. Why? Because God's plans for our life will always work for our good and for his glory. Sometimes when we're in the middle of the storm, it may not seem like it's working for the good, but that's where we've got to have eyes of faith to see beyond the current circumstance and look forward with faith to his plans and his purposes, and remembering that God is not only the Alpha, he doesn't just begin things, but he is also the omega. What he begins, he surely finishes. Now, let's keep reading in verse 12. It says, and when it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly, and we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Let's pause here for just a minute. The next time you feel like you're having a bad day, just remember that it's not so bad that there are 40 people who have made a vow that they ain't even going to eat anything until you're dead. Like that's having a bad day, right? Here's what I find really interesting they asked the council, which by the way would have included the religious leaders and the high priest, to bring Paul. To them and to pretend as if they were going to look out and into his case a little more closely. But then they told the council what they're going to do, which was to murder Paul as he was on his way to meet with them. I mean, this very act right here consists of multiple violations of God's commandments everything from ethical, moral, ceremonial and civil regulations, and and here's the thing, the irony of all this is that they are proving themselves guilty of the very things that they're accusing Paul of. Friends, that's what we call hypocrisy. You know, Jesus had something to say to us, though, about this exact scenario. In in the book of Matthew chapter 7, verse 3, 3 through 5, Jesus says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust In your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye how can you say to your brother let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye you hypocrite first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will be able to see to remove the speck from your brother's eye this verse right here it hits hard with me because I know that there have been many times that I've found myself being judgmental of things that other people have have done, yet I myself, I'm guilty of of similar things. I mean, like, maybe perhaps not in the same manner as they are, but, but in my heart, I'm not exempt. I heard a preacher once say that in life, there are boat sins, and then there are submarine sins. And boat sins are sins that People can just, they can see. They might include things like lying, stealing, adultery, or gossip. But then there are submarine sins. Those are the ones that are below the surface. And those would be ones like pride, envy, greed, and jealousy. And those can be way more dangerous. And the reason why is because we can go about life pretending as if we have it all together. But if we're not careful, the same judgment that we make towards others will be used to judge us. And the one who's doing the judging is God there. As a matter of fact, Jesus says those exact words right before the verses that I just read you. It's found in Matthew 7 and verse 2. Now, the rest of Acts 23, it concludes with Paul's nephew hearing about the Jews' plans. I love this, by the way, that Paul's nephew hears about what's going on, run and tells Paul, you know, God will see to it that you will hear and know what you need to know in the right time. And so he goes, he tells Paul. Then Paul sends this young man to the tribune to tell them what's happening. And the tribune then uh, goes and protects Paul. And he sends him to Felix the governor, who's in Caesarea, which is somewhere around maybe 43 miles uh, from Jerusalem. And this concludes Acts 23, which we'll just kind of maybe bring to a a close for today. But I want to highlight this last thought before we do bring our, our time together to a close. Paul had some unthinkable trials and persecutions up to this point. And it's only going to increase as we continue to read. But through everything that he faced, one thing remained steadfast and evident. And that was God's unwavering presence by his side. Throughout all the challenges and the tribulations, God never abandoned him. And I bring this to your attention because I want you to know that God is no respecter of persons. What that means is there is no bias with God. The same God who was there for Paul is the same God who is there for you. And I just want to remind you of this truth so that it can bring comfort and hope whenever you find yourself in the midst of the storm. And that is to know that God will never abandon you no matter what challenges you may face, no matter what burdens you may carry, no matter what obstacles appear to be in your way, He is an ever-present help in the time of need. We've but to keep running the race and keep fighting the good fight of faith because in the end, we will wear the victor's crown. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, church. And I just want to... Leave someone with this word. If the enemy is coming at you strong, then that just means that you are carrying something of value. Are you with me? Like, if you weren't important, like, he wouldn't be fighting you. Listen, you are of far greater worth than what you realize like the enemy wouldn't be trying to destroy you if you weren't if you didn't have great value. He wouldn't be coming against you if you weren't making a difference. He wouldn't be trying to snuff you out. If you weren't having an impact, he wouldn't even be bothering you at all. But the reality is, he sees what's in you. He knows the call of God that's on your life. And he is hell bent on taking you down. Look, the enemy wouldn't be attempting to destroy you if you didn't possess purpose. Are you hearing me? Hey, thieves don't break into empty houses. The truth of the matter is, you are a threat to the devil. How? Because you are a child of God and you bear the name son and daughter of the Most High. Look, you may not feel like you're gaining ground. It may not feel like you're winning on the outside and to those around you. But can I just tell you that it's in the secret place where God does his greatest work. And that's where God has many of you. But can I just tell you that's the safest place in the world you could ever be because he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Say, well, pastor, what's that mean? That means that God is a very present help, very present help in the time of trouble. That means that he will guard you, protect you, and he himself will establish you. I hope this stirs your faith this morning and knowing that God is doing a great work in each of our lives. See, I've grown to understand that when trials and tribulations they come my way, you know what they are? They're just another round of going through the refiner's fire. But watch this. Whenever I come out, I'm coming out better than when I went in. I'm coming out stronger, wiser, more free, bolder, full of faith. I'm coming out, if I can say it this way, with more oil. I'm coming out with a greater anointing, more gifting. I'm coming out with more favor. I'm coming out with more vision. You say, how's that, preacher? Because watch this. God never takes us back. He doesn't take us out of Egypt only to schedule a reunion somewhere down the road. No, he takes us from glory to glory. And I want you to know that if you feel like you're still in Egypt, Your redemption is drawing nigh, friend. Your deliverer is here. And when he brings you out of that place, he doesn't ever send you back. We're going to see this very thing that we're talking about right here in Paul's life over the next several weeks. Because as Paul faces more and more difficult situations, simultaneously... God brings him in front of people of greater influence and prominence. Just to kind of let you know what's on deck so you know where we're going uh, next week, Um, Paul's going to meet Felix the governor. And after that, he's going to stand before King Agrippa II, then Bernice, a person of influence, then Julius the centurion, and then Publius, the chief on the island of of Malta. And I shared these things just to show you how God just kept increasing Paul's reach. Now, here's what I'm going to do right now. I'm going to ask everyone to stand, so join with me real quick. And late last night as I was praying over you and thinking through the ending of, of today's service, this word stirred heavy in my heart. And I want you to really dial in to catch this. I believe this word that I'm about to share with you. It's for Destiny Church, but I also believe that it's for many of you individually. It's for Destiny Church, but it's also for some of you individually. So put your listening ears on. Ready? Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For the Lord is expanding your territory and enlarging your boundaries. Embrace the stretching and widening of your horizons. For God is calling you to step into new realms of influence and impact. Do not be afraid of the unknown or the unfamiliar. For the hand of the Lord is upon you He goes before you, making a way when there seems to be no way. As you trust in him and surrender to his leading, he will provide the strength and the resources you need to fulfill his purposes. Enlarge in your vision and dream big, for God's plans for your life are greater than you can imagine. Break free from the limitations of doubt and embrace his possibilities, for the Lord is with you empowering you to accomplish mighty things for His glory. In this season of stretching, expect divine connections, supernatural provisions, and extraordinary breakthroughs. As you align your heart with God's will and seek His guidance, He will lead you on paths of righteousness and abundance. Let the Spirit of God ignite a passion within you to step out in faith and pursue the expansive calling He has placed upon your life. Lengthen your cords and embrace the stretching, for God is about to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that you can ask or imagine. Step into the fullness of what God has prepared for you. Lengthen your cords and watch as He brings increase favor, and blessings beyond measure. Trust in his faithfulness, for he will never leave you nor forsake you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, do you receive that word for this church? And how many of you say, I will receive that word over myself right now? Praise God.